Recovery Elevator, episode 205. All these problems in life are still very much there. You know, life's, life sucks at times, let's face it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you come out of the right way, it just doesn't because these problems come along. The anxiety is there. It says, hello, you know, and then you can look at it and look at your life. I can look at my, my, my problems and, I don't know, it just it drifts away all by itself after a very, very brief period of time. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we have Kane. He's from Adelaide, Australia, and he's been sober for over six weeks. In his interview, he talks about how his anxiety levels have plummeted and how he genuinely looks forward to his future in life. On January 1st of this year, I launched the third private unsearchable Facebook accountability group. All signups starting January 1st to January 31st, we've got 10 days left, will be placed in this new Cafe Area group, and you also have access to the forum, which is located outside of Facebook. We've already got several members in the group who are moving forward in life without alcohol. If you're needing extra accountability, support, and the feeling of, I'm not the only one going through this, then Cafe RE is for you. This will be a tight-knit group since membership is capped at 300. I can tell you one thing for sure, there is so much love and encouragement in these groups. For the entire month of January, you can use the promo code 2019-2019 for 75% off registration. Again, that's 2019. If you are a Recovery Elevator podcast listener and you live in or close to the Nashville area, I want to meet you in person. Join us Saturday, February 23rd for Recovery Elevator live in Nashville at 7 p.m. Go to recoveryelevator.com for more info. Okay, let's get started. Tony Robbins and Russell Brand recently did a podcast titled Recover Your True Self. There will be a link in the show notes to this episode. You can go to recoveryelevator.com and find it in episode 205. And I also want to say thanks to Mike Knoll, who's in Hong Kong. I interviewed him about 20 episodes ago. He's been volunteering for over a year to do the show notes, and he does a fantastic job. So thank you, Mike. In this episode with Tony Robbins and Russell Brand, there are two value bombs I want to talk about. The first is Russell Brand's definition of recovery. And the other is his idea of what the main intention of the 12 steps are. Let's first talk about the word recovery. To be honest, and this may surprise you since the podcast has the word recovery in the title, but I wasn't fully on board with that word when I started Recovery Elevator. I didn't fully grasp the true meaning of the word. When I first began this journey into sobriety, it seemed so esoteric. Did I have to attend a certain amount of meetings or read 50 plus books on sobriety before I would fully understand what the word recovery means? Is this a concept that I know or is this something that I have to feel or both? If addiction, alcoholism is a disease and I have ties to both camps, then why don't we use the word remission? Will I be in recovery the remainder of my life? There are several definitions of recovery, but I like Russell Brands the best when he says we are recovering the person we are intended to be. Recovery is recovering the person we were intended to be. I absolutely love this. And let me make it clear, we are recovering internally the person we were meant to be. This isn't we are getting our life in order so we can accumulate the external possessions we were intended to have. Two totally different things. There was a time in our life when our heart and soul were one, when the edge of life, it didn't need to be doled with alcohol or a substance or behavior. There was a time when we were content, comfortable, and relaxed without alcohol or any other vices. There was a time when we were okay with things being okay, just the way they are. Somewhere in life, things go astray. It's important to recognize this isn't your fault. It never was your fault. The bulk of life events, and I can even venture out and say all life events, don't happen to us. They just happen. But somewhere in life, things don't go as planned. Again, this is not your fault. Most of the time, this is the result of someone else's suffering or addiction or unhealthy ego. And it's important to remember, it's also not their fault. They were simply doing their best. And you were doing your best. You're still doing your best. Had a plan in life? Well, perhaps a car accident occurred. Your house caught fire. Or in 2005, a tsunami occurred in Southeast Asia, killing nearly 150,000 people. Somewhere in life, things go astray for everyone. Some turned to alcohol, which worked. It relieved pain and suffering, which is a part of the contract of life. In fact, this may sound strange for me to say this as a recovery podcast host, but pat yourself on the back for finding temporary relief. You did your best. 
But then we find out that alcohol isn't quite the warm hug we thought it was. It's actually quite addictive and eventually starts to control our lives. Alcohol is shit. Recovery is getting back on track. Not with fingers crossed hoping unwanted lives never occur, but recovering that inner peace. So when shit does hit the fan, we can roll with the punches and say, what else you got? Where is this inner peace located and how can I put it back into my body? The good news is that your inner peace never left. It's been there since your inception. As life progresses, it can be smothered with noise. There will be enticing forks in the road that lead us amiss, but if we listen to our bodies, we will eventually get on the right track. We will uncover, recover that inner peace. First step, remove alcohol from your life. Will we be in recovery the remainder of our lives? Uh, yes and no. For one, we can always deepen with this inner peace of wholeness. That's a beautiful thing. But on the other hand, there will come a time when you need to stop recovering and start being. Stop thinking and start being. The other part of this episode I love is how Russell summarizes the point of the 12 steps. He says it's about navigating yourself from unawareness to awareness, going from living life blindly to saying, wait a second, is that correct? If you don't experience a spiritual awakening after the 12 steps, don't beat yourself up. I didn't either. But I did start the transition into questioning my thoughts, and I started to regain awareness that put me back into the driver's seat of my life. Awareness, which can be further explained as not taking action when an uncomfortable emotion arises, is a powerful ally in recovery. An extremely powerful tool in recovery. After we hear from Kane, I'm going to share a story about how we can start recovering the person we were intended to be. And before we hear from Kane, let's hear from Care Of. This year, make health and wellness a top priority with the help of Care Of's monthly subscription vitamin service. Whether you're focused on glowing skin, boosting your energy levels, getting more sleep, or generally being healthy. Do some good for your health in 2019. Care Of makes it easy to stick to your health-related resolutions. Care Of's fun online quiz asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices, and takes only five minutes to find out your personal, scientifically-backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. 90% of people fall short of FDA-recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient. Find out where you're lacking with Care-of's online quiz and get back on track to reaching your health goals. Guys, proper nutrition is key to recovery. It can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking, but Care-of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. I took the online quiz. It's fun and super easy. Guys, I've used Care-of's vitamins to help me go almost a month without caffeine. A portion of every sale goes towards the Good Plus Foundation, which provides expectant mothers in need with valuable prenatal vitamins. For 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code ELEVATOR. Again, that's go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code ELEVATOR. And now let's hear from Kane. Kane, how are you? Hey, Paul. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. Uh, real quick, Kane, let listeners know what time of the day it is right there in Australia. Uh, let's see, we are at approximately 3.38 a.m. 3.38 a.m. Uh, I suppose you could call it bright and early, but it's actually dark and early. So, uh, yeah, no worries. Yeah, and this is the best <laughs> way to start my day. This is like the first thing you're doing in your day. So I'm looking forward to this interview, Kane. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to a nice long yoga session once we get out of this. Yeah, it's going to be nice. There we go. And before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and most importantly, what you like to do for fun, Kane? I am from Adelaide, Australia. Uh, for a living, I'm a government worker. I work at the airport. I have three children. My wife has three children also. And for fun, I like, uh, well, I love hiking, I love doing yoga in the mornings, which I've been doing almost every day since I've uh, since I've gone sober 49 days ago I've taken up bird watching love bird watching and uh, which is a strange geek habit which has come flooding into my life which I love and uh, for fun I also love socializing I find I've been actually socializing more since I've been sober than I was when I was drinking which is fantastic listeners fun fact about Australia I read a couple of years ago is the average Australian lives 14 miles from the coast and when I asked I asked Kane where Adelaide is. You know, we're doing the kilometer comparison. You're like right at 14 miles. <laughs> Tell us about Adelaide. <laughs> well, there's a stat that I didn't know. Adelaide, Adelaide's uh, about 1.3 million people, something like that. It's a nice hot town. It gets up to 40 degrees Celsius pretty regularly in summer, which I don't know. I think it's around 100 Fahrenheit. And, yeah, I mean, it's pretty friendly. It's 
It's pretty relaxed, pretty quiet. A lot of young people leave because they find it a bit too quiet. You know, you go to Melbourne or Sydney for the for the high life, but here it's a good place to raise a family. You know, employment's not so good, but anyway, I love it. It's nice and it's a nice little place. Give us a fun fact about Australia. In fact, I just remembered another one that Australia has the most people traveling per capita. You guys like to travel. What's a what's what's a fun fact about Australia? National bird, uh, things like that. Something like seven of the most ten venomous snakes in the world. I think that's a pretty fun fact. I was walking in the forest just uh, not long ago and saw a brown snake about a meter away from me. It's only the second most venomous snake in the world. I got the giggles up. I think my son was actually a little bit impressed uh, because I got that nervous laugh going, you know. But yeah, it, it moved on, did its thing. I moved on, did my thing. So, you know, you hope for the best. Ken, that got me going. Uh, I, most people don't know this, but I love snakes. <laughs> oh, wow. I love snakes. Oh, I, yeah, Montana I, has, love I, I love them. Montana has 11 native snake species, and I've actually gone out and tried to find all of them. I've got like four more to go. Sounds strange. How these things lived over millions of years without arms and legs, I find it fascinating. I do. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, that, I, sound, that sounds like me with my birds. I love there you go. looking for the birds. And yeah. what's the bird that you're like, man, nailed it, found it, the harpy eagle. Like, What's your favorite bird that you want to see on your bucket list? Oh, oh gee. Oh. A Rufus fantail. I wouldn't mind seeing a Rufus fantail. Just saw the Rufus Whistler the other day. Uh, but, but I've just started. The list just goes on and on. And there's a big bird up north, uh, way up in Queensland, called a cassowary. It's like a, it's like a, an attack emu. It's got uh, this big plate on its head that it can cut you with and big barbs on its feet. And it's uh, as tall as you. I think it's six foot tall or something. It can just Whoa. just murder you just by looking at you. So I wouldn't mind seeing that one. Sounds interesting. Whoa. I hear Rufus, and I think uh, Hook with Robin Williams, a Peter Pan movie. That's Rufio. Oh, my, Rufio. <laughs> That's when I first came to mind. All right, let's, uh, let's get back into sobriety. Uh, yeah, give listeners a little background about your drinking, Kane. Perhaps describe your drinking habit, how much you drank, when you started. Did you ever attempt to regulate? When did you first notice that it, be- it was becoming problematic in your life? I'm excited to hear more about your journey. Yeah, sure. Look, I think uh, I started drinking pretty much in late high school, towards the end of high school. Just thought it was a, a whole lot of fun. I think interestingly enough, I think I started off pretty well diving straight into the uh, drinking for drunkenness uh, variety. You know, I remember going to the last day of school, going to a friend's place beforehand, drinking quite a lot of vodka, um, then heading off to school and ha- having what I thought was fun, you know, spinning a Coke can around on my finger and watching the blood pour down my hand and not really recognizing that it was because I was spinning a Coke can on my finger anyway. And then went off to university, college, and that pretty quickly became a staple part of life. You know, sometimes I'd have a beer for breakfast, head into the tavern, maybe have a few pints, drop the afternoon lectures, stay on in the tavern, maybe smoke a bit of weed, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it pretty well just quickly became a uh, an escape from this busy brain that that, uh, that that I seemed to carry around a lot, you know, it just it seemed to quieten things down, didn't have to think as much. And so day by day, it didn't happen every day, but I looked forward to those days. There's no doubt. It was more, it was more fun having days where I was drinking than having days where I was sober. And then of definitely social occasions, you know, I, if I wasn't with my old friends, then I'd want to drink because that was easier to meet new friends. And if I was with my old friends, I would want to drink because it was fun drinking with my old friends because it was safe, it was happy. You know, we'd just get into it, get nice and drunk and, uh, well, in my mind, enjoy life. Yeah. Uh, When did I think it became a problem? Well, I think one of the problems is that I really didn't think it was a problem for a very long time. But looking back, I mean, I think the problem probably started around the mid-20s after children came along, moved up, did a geographical move, not for alcoholism, but just for for life. I think I wanted to become a better father because I was socialising too much and uh, went out for a few years, came back, had a not a very good relationship with my with my ex. We, we weren't very kind to each other and uh, things just sort of... Spiraled. I, I, I never believed I was an alcoholic, though, not even close. I just thought that I didn't have a very a life that I enjoyed terribly much at times, and so the best way out of that was to get drunk to be able to enjoy my life, which ironically enough actually makes it harder to enjoy your life. But anyway, 
that's just what we do, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so around the mid to late 20s, in a relationship that didn't work, always, I found, I think, I found myself always looking forward to the future, you know, like not li- looking forward to that drink. You know, if I'm having a bad day, I'm waiting for the afternoon or if I've got a day off, I'm waiting till lunchtime because that's acceptable, you know, and having that first drink, having those first few drinks. The, my children had certainly had no idea that I was um, fairly solidly into alcohol. I tended to hide the actual drunkenness from them. You know, they would see me having a beer or three, but if I was ever actually properly drunk, I would avoid home or uh, or get the kids to bed, wait until they were in bed until, you know, I would properly get stuck into it. Certainly didn't mind drinking alone. I was doing shift work a lot. So uh, on days when by the, time the, by the time the kids got to school, I could get them off to school, maybe around lunchtime again, start cracking them, get them in. And uh, look, looking back, you know, I think to myself that um, I've, I've always said I was a, a pretty good dad in that I was there. But I was just listening to one of, uh, one of your podcasts just recently and, and uh, he, he told me what kind of what I've been thinking and that, you know, I was there physically and I tried to be there emotionally and mentally. But um, just looking even in this last 49 days with my older now children, what I'm able to, uh, to process and feel for them is so much better than than that physical being there and even though i I did try i I know that things would have been so much easier if i was just sober and present rather than looking into the future either feeling like crap because of these constant hangovers and then looking forward to that next drink to make the hangover go away you know uh, it's probably one of my biggest regrets actually out of uh, out of drinking is not recognizing that well, Kane, you said Alcohol something earlier. Yeah, you said something earlier that you're always looking forward to the future, and that's one thing that addiction does. It zaps the present moment, takes all the joy out of the moment we're yeah. in right now. And you, you commented on again shortly after that. It's you're always looking forward to a future moment, and in, in, in sobriety, you're back in the present moment. That's awesome. Now, you mentioned mid twenties, about twenty five. Looking back, the signs are on the wall, but you weren't going to use the word alcoholic. You weren't quite ready to use that word. So there's 20 yep. years from 25 to 45 where you continue to drink yep. and you brought us up to speed a little bit, but was there a rock bottom moment or, um, you know, from like 40 to 45, what was that period like near you know, the tail end of the drinking? 40 to 45 was really interesting because, uh, it was around my late thirties. I think when I, uh, look, I, I was displaying a lot of behaviors, um, that I was quite unhappy with for, for a few years and I started to believe that maybe I was just a, a bit of a, a nasty person basically which I, I never used to think about myself but when you look at your behaviors that which are you know frequently occurring I started to think well maybe that's just me you know and uh, I went through a little phase of uh, self-development but I suppose is one way to put it just looking at myself and saying come on like if you don't like these behaviors how about you just work on being a better person and that actually ended up coming out into um, into the finish of my 20-year uh, poor relationship. And I left my my ex for a, a woman that, strangely enough, I met at the pub because that's what we do, yeah. And uh, But I fell head over heels in love with them and I'm, we're still married. Uh, we, were, we got married and we're married now. And uh, Kimberly has been going along the, the sober route as well. She actually has started started things off and she was struggling with it and I was uh, resisting it and, uh, you know, thinking to myself, I don't need to do that just because my wife is uh, then noticing, you know, the effects of, of alcohol on both of our behaviours. I actually mm-hmm. initially thought, I actually initially thought that my wife's behaviour, I thought it was her problem. You know, um, I'm not the alcoholic. She's obviously the alcoholic because her behavior suffers worse than mine when we drink. So therefore, sure. I'm not in not as bad a bucket as she is. So she's an alcoholic. You know, great logic. Clearly, you know, perfect. perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, then, but but I think with this with this background of I had a few years just of trying to work on myself, and even though. I didn't recognize the alcoholism as the problem. And to be fair, I think like a lot of you people, I still struggle with that actual word. When I talk to people socially, I use the term heavy drinker, although I know that my thinking around alcohol certainly isn't the same as a heavy drinker who stops whenever they want to because 
of that living in the future. You know, you don't. If you're a heavy drinker, you're not. You're not necessarily just waiting for that for that time when you can have an excuse to get on it. You know, and looking forward to that to that moment when the when the when the beer or the wine or whatever comes along. Yeah, and Kane, let me comment uh, so, on, yeah. on something you just said right there. You said I still wasn't ready to label myself an alcoholic or say I had a drinking problem. And one of the reasons why addiction, alcoholism is so insidious is I can't think of another disease out there that tells the person they don't have the disease. Yeah, so looking back, um, I also did not want to label myself because A, you got the stigma, but then B, you've got this disease that tells you you don't have it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's perplexing. I get emails all the time and there are paragraphs long of wreckage. Then at the end, it'll say, I'm still not sure I've got a drinking problem. Any thoughts? <laughs> I'm just like, whoa, are you serious? <laughs> I've, I've, I've got so much empathy for that. I, I know exactly where they're coming yep. from. And like I understand it too. It, I totally do. Yeah. Because I've been right yeah, there. Yeah, I remind myself. Uh, I remind myself often now. And uh, so far, I'm in this. Uh, oh, and just, oh, I suppose just a, just a, finish off there i think yeah. i was very lucky in that in that having done that bit of work on myself then when the and changed things ah there we go that i compared this sobriety date very much to the date of leaving my ex partner because it really was quite toxic i was should have known better but i wanted a family i was very stubborn very determined to keep it even though i was just was quite toxic and i felt internally like i was just hanging on to this rope you know just 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 hanging on for dear life and um and fighting against myself or fighting against some some vicious current you know and letting that rope go and uh, accepting what had come into my life just felt like the easiest plainest simplest most correct thing that had ever happened okay, when in was my this? life and uh, this was in 2013 okay now if we take that emotion through to uh, to this sobriety date, quite recent, but it, it, and emotionally, the process of coming to that moment of realization and the word that I've heard over again is is surrender, mm. and it's it, it's it was that same damn rope, Paul. It was that same rope. I was in there, fighting against myself, clinging onto this rope because stubbornness has a lot of good qualities, but gee, it also has some real terrible ones, and. I got drunk on a Friday, but out of jealousy because I'd seen my wife backslide and have a drink, and I was looking at her and thinking, I'm jealous. And the next night, I just got drunk by myself, not doing anything else, just opened beer after beer, then moved on to the wine until I got proper drunk. No other point. No one there, no conversations, just drunkenness. And three days after that, I woke up after two days of just feeling, ugh, anyway, mm -hmm. the worst. And the, I woke up one morning, I had a thought process, and I let go of that rope. Somehow, it just went clunk. And here we are, 49 days later, I can get my legs over my head and onto the floor in some weird kind of yogi master thing. I'm walking up hills, I'm looking at, I'm looking at birds, I'm driving everywhere, not worrying about anything. It's no anxiety, well, hard, barely any anxiety. And uh, I yeah, just feel very lucky to have been able to relate the feeling to know how real it is because of where I've come from. Can, can you expand a little bit more on dropping the metaphorical rope? Because this is surrender, which is one of the biggest milestones on anybody's timeline with a journey into sobriety. Once a surrender happens, and I can pinpoint in my journey when it happened, it was about six days before my sobriety date. I was driving in, in someone's car who came, picked me up. I was drunk at a wedding. And I was ready to go to rehab. In fact, I made several calls to get those plan, to get that plan moving in motion. But it sounds like you dropped the metaphorical rope. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't happen after a rock bottom. It can just happen when we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Talk to me more about that. And, and is it something you felt? Is it something you knew? Let's explore that a little more. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd been, um, <clears throat> I've been listening to your, to your podcast uh, for a few months, really, had a, had a good little binge to start off with. And uh, that really got the juices flowing around, just just thinking, you know, actually properly thinking and hearing all these beautiful people that whose stories are so relatable. You know, the, the, the information around AA is go there looking for the similarities, not the differences. And, you know, I hear these, these, um, these, these stories from these very real people, you know, and, and, and what it, I think what it did in my brain is it turned it, uh, the concept of alcoholism into this thing that that uh, is a real stigma that happens to other people, you know, to 
a thing that goes, well, hang on, these people sound a lot like me. And that got these thought processes um, going. And I remember a few weeks before I, the, my sobriety date came along, I even texted a, a friend of mine saying, because he was having a, a bad time uh, with some alcohol as well, you know, old old high school friend on a similar journey. And uh, I texted him saying, uh, why do we drink? You know, I, I suspect it's just out of habit, you know, and um, have you ever considered sobriety? Now, for that to come out of my fingers is just, <laughs> mm. it's pretty weird, you know, and, uh, and, and so that rattled around in my brain. Oh, and I had a really awful incident. I suppose it's it could be a, a rock bottom incident, which I didn't actually think at the time. Uh, fairly recently, that in, involved getting a colleague uh, up to my my house, and anyway, somewhere around three in the morning, after a ridiculous amount of alcohol, um, a, a, a knife got involved, and uh, and a physical threat to what I felt at the time was a physical threat to my life because I was well, it was you know I was um, sure. I was restrained I was restrained. You know, there's a knife and there's a big, big man with a lot of strength. And um, and then I had to deal with all the fallout from that, which was just horrendous. And uh, combining that moment with, you know, podcast thoughts and this and and, and I was lucky enough to have, the, have this emotion of, of the, yeah, that similar rope emotion. I, I, don't, I don't know why, why I call it a rope. It's like it's like a cuddle pulling myself up into a little ball with little clenched fists, you know, and, and, and holding on to what I believe is, is me, you know, like I'm, I drink, you know, I, 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 it's not a problem. I don't drink every day. I can regulate. I went for a, I went for a month without grog once, you know, that means that I'm not an alcoholic. I proved to myself. And I think I, I wrote to you and said, I think I've dined off that for eight years once, you know, because I went for a month without grog. That means I'm not an alcoholic. So I'm fighting against myself and, then three days after my last drink, I just woke up and and somehow, I, I, I just don't know how, but somehow with this, all these thoughts, just woke up and I just felt it and I just felt this the penny drop and I let go and I got this flood of of just rightness uh, that it's okay that it's the life's good I can do this I. And since that moment, my mouth has been my most powerful tool. In I'm just telling everyone, Paul. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling everyone, uh, everyone that I meet at work. Um, well, if the conversation goes that way, you know, I don't, I don't go up to strangers in the store. And go, hey, I'm not sure. drinking. Yeah. But uh, you know, like, I'm just, it, my, I'm just using that feeling to leverage into telling my mother, telling my friends telling my colleagues anyone that i'm having a chat with and where it ends up you know what are you doing this week and you're having some drinks no you know i've stopped drinking and uh, i'm feeling really good I'm, inevitably the, the the reactions are have been positive there's there's been um you know just good on you basically um, a couple of a couple of people are saying oh what are you going to try and moderate you know and all that sort of stuff but when i sit down when i explain no you know moderation just doesn't i don't think it really works for me you know i, I think i'm treating myself like pretty much like an alcoholic and um it's really working for me at the moment and yeah i've been been getting really positive feedback and and that constant loop of of uh, of uh, submitting to whatever this is that's happened to me and, uh, and and feeding it out there into the world is feeding me back great things, you know, and um, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's lovely. Kane, I want to recap what you just talked about right there because that's a tremendous fear and one of the blocks to getting sober for many, including myself, it was what are other people going to say when I come out about my drinking? It sounds like you're burning the ships like it's your hobby. Good on you. Those conversations are going to pay major dividends down the road. But it sounds like you're saying, um, and I'm not surprised by this, it just sounds like you're saying everybody you tell, they're like, whoa, Kane, good on you. Or they might say, hey, dude, well, what about, uh, they ever thought about moderation? And then you counter and say, look, this is what was happening. It's a serious thing in my life. And they're like, oh, I get it. Kane, let me know how I can help. I'm on Team Kane right now. Nice yeah. job. So it, it's all been good reactions, right? Yeah. Yeah, it really has. Yeah, it's been nice. Yeah, that's a that's a big value bomb right there that should give listeners a lot of support and a lot of encouragement. And, and then, Kane, I want to go back to the surrender component and why it's so hard, especially in Western culture. Because it goes against what we've been taught our entire lives of get up, start fighting, no pain, no gain type mentality. And the surrender is basically just to say, fuck it, I quit. 
I'm done fighting. And internally it's like, well, we can't do that. We've been taught our whole lives to, to, to keep going, to keep fighting. But once we do yeah. that and say, I quit, I'm done fighting. It's, it's almost like you just, you know, like do a, like a swan dive on your back on the most comfortable <laughs> mattress you've ever laid on because this weight just lifts off your shoulders. Did you experience the same thing? Absolutely. I, I, it's, uh, I get these uh, feelings of, like, a, I don't know, a tingling between my shoulder blades almost, you know, just, just a breathe, just a, a nice breath and, and along it comes. And uh, I don't know, I, I've been having this, this, one, this one almost problem with this uh, experience. I almost feel like a bit of a, a fraud, Paul, uh, in that to this date, to 49 days into this experience, uh, 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 it's been so easy so far but i know that that's something that's actually potentially a problem that i've got to keep an eye on because i don't believe that i ever want to have a drink again i found it easy to get to this point how are those uh, does that take my eye off the ball i don't know what i'm trying to focus on is all these positive emotions when i get those little cravings that the uh, I, I took a piece of advice that i heard off this podcast it's follow the follow the alcohol you know look and, and the craving is so brief at the moment, you know, right up to now, it has been so brief, you know, like driving home, oh, gee, I wouldn't mind a beer. Oh, hang on. No, you don't want a beer because you don't want your life to suck. Uh, and that kills the craving immediately because I'm focusing on all these good feelings. But in a strange way, it's, it's, it's giving me this little sensation of, oh, yeah, you have fraudster around it, you know, see, and I think maybe that's the alcoholism talking to me again, subtly, you know, being a little sneak, maybe, uh, you know, saying, you know, you're, you're a fraud, you know, you're not an alcoholic. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I know, like, what I think is you're not fighting it. I think your ego, part of your ego died when you let go of the rope of death, when you had yeah. that tumultuous three-day or two-day hangover. Um, oh, yeah. I, th I don't think you're fighting it. I think internally at the conscious level, you got the message to the unconscious part of your brain and said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not mm -hmm. fighting a life. I'm not going to be fighting a happy life anymore. And for some time, yeah, for some people, it can, yeah, for some people, it can be that simple of, uh, oh, I'd like a drink. I want a beer. Oh, wait, my life will suck. I'm done. It can be that simple yeah. for some. And I see some people fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it. And I've, I fought other aspects of my addiction in, in recovery. But for me, once I hit that surrender moment, Fortunately, I, I, I didn't fight it very much because there was no, there's plenty of backlog of data knowing that it, life would suck pretty bad if I went right back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, so how are you doing it? You mentioned yoga. What is, what does a typical day in your life of recovery look like, Kane? Well, a typical day over the last couple of weeks has been working like a dog, actually, because we moved house, but up to this wonderful wonderful place in the adelaide hills my god we've come down from the, we've come up from the from the suburbs which were perfectly pleasant nothing wrong with them but um just moving house and getting up to this place where dawn over the uh, ironically enough dawn comes up over the vineyards uh so when i've shown people places of my photos of my new place they said oh that looks like a great porch for a cup of you know for a glass of wine it's like yeah yeah it would be <laughs> i might have a i might have a kombucha or a yeah. cup of tea on the uh, on the on the porch, but uh, getting up getting up bright and early. I'm getting up an hour before I have to leave for home, whereas I used to get up, you know, ten minutes before, throw on the clothes, get out the door, wake up sometime during the drive. Now I'm getting up a good hour before, doing my yoga in the mornings, a quiet morning. Only so if I don't feel like it, I'm only doing fifteen minutes. On a good morning, I'm doing an hour and fifteen minutes, and ah, oh, the, the the body. The body can do amazing things in, in just in just seven weeks. When I started, I could get my fingers halfway down my shins, basically. I was getting pretty stiff. And uh, on a limber day now, I can get my palms on the floor with straight hamstrings, you know, with straight legs. It, wow. it is insane. It is insane. I cannot believe what is going on here. Like, I'm freaking myself out, man. Anyway, so then, <laughs> then I'm heading off to work, come and Usually these days I'm coming on home up to this beautiful, cool hills location, going for a hike with my beautiful dog, Rusty. Uh, I'm spending time with my wife. We're just, we're not arguing at all, you know, like because because the, the alcohol was the only time that we used to argue, you know, when the, when, the, when the drinks went down, that's when the behaviors potentially go south. Like you think you're having fun, then you give yourself these things where 
all of a sudden you open yourself to this space where things are just going wrong, you know, and then that, that's all gone. And uh, very importantly for me, I've been very surprised about the socialization aspect of this uh, this sober journey. You know, I like talking to people, Paul. I, I, I like my friends. I like I like strangers that are that are open to a good conversation. And I'm just finding that I'm just so much more open to just being in that car. I never have to, never have to worry about whether I'm able to drive anywhere. And I'm just going to visiting people for a good nice little section of time you know say an hour or two we have a catch up and then we'll move on and we might go and visit someone else you know it's um, it's nice it's really bloody nice i'm just at the moment i'm just constantly surprised by my life you know that the uh the ease at which i can just get through my days without this knot of anxiety in my stomach uh which i thought i was just an anxious person you know like uh didn't connect with the alcohol same with everything else, all the health problems that were coming along, you know, my, my insides were troubling me pretty well in the mornings and uh, that's all gone away. I'm just, uh, I, I thought I was allergic, allergic to, to chili actually, but it turns out I'm allergic to alcohol. And uh, and I love chili, so chili's back in my life, you know, it's fantastic. Big time. Yeah. Welcome back, chili. Yeah, sobriety can fix things that you didn't really even know were, were broken. Yeah. You no longer, you don't have allergies to chili, it's awesome. And uh, yeah. in your email you sent me, you mentioned that anxiety levels have plummeted and I genuinely look forward to my future. Talk to me about that because I know anxiety for a lot of listeners, it's, it's a big part of their life, unfortunately. And, and also in, yeah. in recovery too, I, I want to comment on this too, is the post-acute withdrawal symptoms, I like to call them healing symptoms. Anxiety was a big part of my early sobriety as well. Like it takes a while for the levels to, to even out, but it gets better. But talk to about anxiety. How has it been for you? It has been, uh, over my life, an ongoing and increasing problem, I think. I, I, ever through childhood and a, and a fairly interesting childhood all over the, all over the world, I've actually spent a year in, uh, in the U.S. at one stage. I've been in a little place called uh, South Fallsburg in uh, New York State. Oh, South Fallsburg, yeah. Yeah, South Fallsburg, man. There we Beautiful. Go. <laughs> um, and uh, didn't recognize it as anxiety for quite a lot of years and just... You know, just have a drink, you'll be right. Or in the early days, have a smoke. And but just with the way life going, ended up getting some counselling. The uh, uh, issue got identified as as anxiety. I got given some tools to um to to deal with that. And unsurprisingly, given all the stories I've heard, no, at no stage did I get from any. Um, not that it's the professional's fault, but no professional ever asked, said to me, you know, you're probably drinking too much, and that may be a factor in your anxiety. I. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, I think it'll, there's so many of these, you were talking about health problems just earlier, you know, these, these health problems that we, that we get medications for, yeah, that's, for, for, for us that are built in, with alcohol a certain way, you know, if, we, if you drink enough of it, it's just going to be bad for you in all these ways and the medicines aren't going to do much with the alcohol there punishing all the, what those medicines are trying to achieve. So uh, it's been a yeah, really ongoing issue now since this sobriety date, I have not had uh, one bit of diazepam, which was my go-to about about once a week on average, I'd say I'd have a, a tablet of diazepam uh, on peak anxiety moments, and mm. um, well, I haven't even haven't even gotten close to needing one of them. I, I don't even know where they are anymore. Actually, I'm able to see these all these problems in life are still very much there. You know, life life sucks at times. Let's face it, mm. but you know. If you come out of the right way, it just doesn't because these problems come along. The anxiety is there. It says, hello, you know, and then you can look at it and look at your life. I can look at my, my, my problems and I don't know, it just it drifts away all by itself after a very, very brief period of time. Kind of like that uh, that craving for the alcohols uh, thing that I was talking about. It, it just pops into my mind. It's there. It does what it does. And then it goes away. It's a it's a beautiful thing. It's um it's it, it's how I feel life should be lived. You know, like, like when it comes to anxiety, because anxiety is a natural fact of life. There's there's no you know it, it serves a purpose. It's always going to be there, but in this world where you know nothing's about to murder you, so in most situations you don't need that heavy anxiety. You know, you just need a little bit of it to motivate you, and uh, and that's that's what it's doing. It's just there and it goes away. 
It's a wonderful thing. Correct. Some stress and some anxiety is healthy, like in acute emergency situations. And, and this, this stemmed from when we were running, from, running away from saber-toothed tigers and lions. But I'm a firm yeah. believer that depression exists in our brain when we're stuck in the past, and anxiety is when we're stuck in the future. And you mentioned this earlier in the episode. Living saying, in the future. Yeah, I was always looking forward to the future. And the anxiety that I've had to deal with in sobriety, which I had no chance of dealing with um, if alcohol is part of my life, and I'm dealing with it unmedicated at this moment, is uh, it, 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 that holds true for me. I was always living not in the present moment. I was always looking in the future, and I was always looking if the external validation would continue in the future as well. I know this is a, it's a tough one to wrap your head around. And in the last two years, I've been working with a counselor about that as well for my anxiety. It's all about bringing yeah. it back to the present moment, which for me is the best cure for my anxiety. Mm. Um, and, and Kane, what's, uh, what's on your bucket list in sobriety? You got 49 days, which is huge. <laughs> nice job. What's that? What's oh, I'm looking. List? I'm looking at these. I'm looking at these stats, man. And uh, I'm, I'm, was it five percent hit ninety days? Is that is that the is that the stats? And then they are. Then, but you can keep five percent. Make it five percent of five percent. Make it a two years. So five percent to ninety days, and another five percent. Make it two years. It's two point five out of a thousand. But it's just a stat. I got my and, fingers crossed. And you can start over at any time you want. Like I first read that, yeah. I was like, oh shit. But yeah. you can start over anytime you want, right? I mean, it's, it, episode 200 talked about the cure to addiction. It's, it's, uh, we're currently struggling how to treat addiction. There's a pockets of greatness. This is you and I talking on the phone. AA is a great program. I, I've seen yeah. people kicking major ass in Cafe RE. But uh, unfortunately, rehab and other programs, it's, we're struggling right now to get those numbers up. And we're, we're high te- like mid-teens for rehab. AA is it's kind of the same thing and it's a work for yeah, me, but okay. it's a lot of people that it, that it doesn't. So, um, I kind of got off track there. Sorry about that. But, uh, yeah, sorry. It's on your bucket list. I just lost your questions. Well, yeah. I'm going to ask you a question uh, and then completely interrupt you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I started it. Yeah. All right. The bucket list. Ah, uh, man, what can I say? First and foremost, uh, the relationship that I have with my wife and my children and my, and my family, that's is to, is to, just keep that and 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 have that rolling and just improving you know like that the, there's so there's so much room in 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 my heart now you know like m- much more room i always i've always been a loving person i believe uh but there's it's just there's just more room i can stuff all this this thing in there and, and i can you know i can feel when i'm full when i've had enough of something i can i can just feel better and i want to be able to keep on feeling and, and and being honest with myself and and being honest with people around me and more tangible things uh, I'm, I'm i'm really looking forward to uh, hitting the road one one day having a nice big road trip getting a caravan me and my wife cruising around looking at crazy birds everywhere there we go uh, <laughs> uh, i want to go up to some rainforests up in uh, up in up north one day this is a huge country paul just like the usa you know monstrous and you can you can do what you like here you know you you just cruise around and there's so many amazing things to see and socializing um keep on coming back to that you know because i was terrified that no alcohol would equal no socialization and that's that would be a bit of a killer for me you know and um so that's just going to be meeting people around the way talking to people having Having good times, you know. I think I think that I think that's that's the thing. Having good times, not what I used to think was a good time, which was, hey, let's meet up on Friday night. Let's get fucked up, and that's going to be great fun, you know. I find, I've really recognised that that is where all the biggest nastiest events in my life have come during those times, you know. Waking up in <laughs> waking up in hospital the morning after I've broken my stepfather's leg accidentally by being overly friendly while I'm extremely drunk and he's extremely drunk too you know and waking up to my mother telling me that I've broken my father-in-law's leg uh, in hospital while I'm feeling drunk yeah you, while, I'm, while I'm feeling terribly hungover one of the worst moments of my life you yeah, know you right might there. be an alcoholic if right there oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought about thought about using that one <laughs> And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to summarize your bucket list. You're just going to start living and start being. Absolutely, Paul. Absolutely. And, and, and it's already started. Now. And, and, you know, I just want to just keep this train rolling. You know, mm-hmm. God, I just feel so good. You know, I'm just look, talking to people without, 
without mud in my head, you know, I'm just, just, I'm just there. I'm just there. I'm talking. I'm there. And it's great. Oh, man. It's, yeah. I'm just so surprised. I, you know, I used to feel sorry for people that didn't drink. Absolutely felt sorry for them. Mm-hmm. Because you poor bastard, you don't drink. How on earth do you have fun? And I basically didn't really ever want to socialize with them because, well, they didn't drink. What's the point of that? You can't have any fun if you're not drinking. And I would actively feel sorry for them. God, how ridiculous. Things have changed. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And Kane, we have reached the rapid fire round. Please answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds. Are you ready? Yes. All righty. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? I think not being as good a father as I thought I was and I could have been. Uh, I think that overall really uh, has to be a long-term grinding worst memory because I convinced myself that I was a really good father. I think there's a lot of me that was, but I know that if I'd been sober through that whole time. So, you know, that's a little, uh, I suppose, overall regret thing. That and the waking up in the hospital after breaking my uh, father-in-law's leg. And what was your oh shit moment indicating that you can't control your drinking? I never believed that I couldn't control my drinking, so I didn't have one of them. But I do remember feeling pretty bad about waking, again, waking up one morning after a blackout and finding my phone. And I'd written a note to myself. It was all misspelt in drunken, uh, which I, and I never misspell stuff. I love spell. And it was misspelled to tell myself where I had parked my car after trying not to drink drive oh wow yeah 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 it's pretty cool uh what's your plan in sobriety moving forward kane socialization uh yoga uh accepting and seeing the negatives in in life for what they are uh and um read a big one just recently in a book called uh the subtle art of how not to give a fuck i think yeah Uh, taking taking responsibility mark manson Uh, Yes, correct. And uh, the, it's a great book, but this, this one concept in, in my life that really resonated was taking responsibility. Take responsibility for everything that happens in your life. That means it doesn't mean take the blame. It means something's happened. You're there. You're going to respond. Take responsibility for that response. Yeah. yeah, it's like the holy grail in life because you're never a victim and you can always take action. I love it. Um, it's yeah. a great book, by the way. We did it for Book Club and Cafe RE. No, it's actually oh, terrific. Book. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, um, nice. What's your favorite resource in recovery? It has to be, in terms of media or the world out there, you're doing a great job, man. Look, I, I, uh, I've Ken. been binging on your podcast, and like I said, all those voices have been terrific. And you know, the other best resource, uh, I've, I've been to only one AA meeting. I actually really enjoyed it. It reminded me of listening to this podcast, and I got involved and I may end up going back. I may not. I'm really not sure. My best resource has been taking that concept of the talk and just using it in my life often, you know, not, not, not banging on to people about it constantly, but when people ask, just telling them, you know, like, yeah, I'm off the booze. And, and it just creates this similar environment conversation without so far without judgment. And, uh, yeah, just my mouth has been an excellent resource just talking talking to people, keeping, keeping the train rolling. And in regards to sobriety, Kane, what's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, in regards to sobriety, well, a general piece of advice, which I can turn to sobriety. We go is, general. Uh, yeah, so she, my, my wife, when I met her, she said this thing in her life where she goes, is this working for me, no matter what it relates to? And then the answer is, if the answer is no, change it. Mm. Simple as that. Again, it can be that simple. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Uh, I've still got um, Mark's book rolling around in my head. So I'd say my guidance for my life and possibly for other people's is taking responsibility for how you react to your life. I think it's a very similar concept to a bloke called uh, Frankel that lived in the, in the war. He discovered this space between someone's action or the world's action and your reaction. There is a space where you get to decide what that reaction is, you know, and that's taking responsibility. I think it's really enhances, enhances your way in the world. And came before we depart, you know, what's coming next. Give listeners your own yeah. customized. You might be an alcoholic if line. We've heard some good ones already. I'm excited for this. <laughs> Several good ones. All right. You might, you, you might be an alcoholic if, uh, if you ask your mother for a lift to your car, cause you've been drinking the night before. 
And then you get to your car, find out it's not there, and then remember while your mother's still in the car that she's driven, remember that you've driven it home drunk, and then you ask you to dry, ask her to drive you back home, but go back up the road a bit, turn left to where you left it, so that your partner didn't know that you'd drink driven home, and you'd forgotten that you'd uh, left it there. But mom, I just wanted to have a conversation with you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the embarrassment! Uh, oh my amazing. god! And even even that didn't stop me from drinking. It just uh, tried to stop me from DUI. Uh, oh, thanks, god. mom. Cool. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, mom. Ah, <laughs> uh, 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 there we go. Kane, it's 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 four fifteen a.m. There, it's ten fifty three. I don't know; those times are wrong. But what a great way it's to start yoga my time. Day. Yoga Paul, time. It's yoga time. Yeah, thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast today, Kane. Oh, I appreciate it, Paul. It was really nice to chat to you. Thank you. A couple episodes ago, I talk about the importance of letting things go. I mentioned that zebras don't have ulcers. In fact, a listener mailed me a book titled "Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers" from Robert Sapolsky. Thank you so much, Kim. I want to share a story with you about letting things go, which is crucial if we want to recover the person we were intended to be. Two Buddhist monks started a 20-mile pilgrimage to the temple. They were instructed no eye contact, don't talk to anybody, just walk two by two in silence to the temple for 20 miles. At about a mile in, one of the Buddhist monks noticed a gal leaving a store. There was no pavement, there was a lot of mud, and she was wearing a white dress. She was unable to cross the puddle of mud without getting her dress dirty. So the Buddhist monk goes across, picks her up, walks her across the mud, sets her down. He then rejoins the other monk and continues on with the pilgrimage. As soon as they reach the temple, the other Buddhist monk goes, Why did you go over there and help that lady? The Buddhist monk looks at him and says, Hmm, I set her down 19 miles ago. It seems you're the one that's been carrying her the whole time. We gotta let shit go. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We gotta take the stairs back up. We can do this. <laughs> <laughs>